This morning, I invite you to open in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll begin at verse 28, right there at the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, and then on into chapter 13. We are in our second week of a two-part series uh, entitled, An Unshakable Kingdom in Shaken Times. Last week, we considered uh, in uh, having received an unshakable king, what it is to be a people of gratitude as a community. And then today, we'll consider what it is to live a grateful life together. We've spent the last year and a half developing a way of being. And as a church, that's after uh, about seven and a half to eight years of establishing a way of being a church together and then a pandemic hits, and we begin to operate in a different way, to act in, in a different manner as a community, and perhaps even to develop new habits of life. There have been many normal and, I believe, faithful ways of being that we've grown up in as a habit of, of being together as a church. And yet, in this last year, much of that has been disrupted. Last week, I spent a good bit of time at the beginning of the message sort of describing the way that I've seen that take place during the past year and a half. I want to take a few moments to remind us of some of those things, and if you weren't here last week, to perhaps catch you up a little. Here at Cross Point Coast, we've developed a way or a life together around what we call our gospel rhythms of celebration, connection, community, and contribution. And the intention of those rhythms of life is that we would remain centered on the celebration of the great story of our God in Christ and his gospel. Never in all my pastoral life would I ever have thought in, in the rhythm of our lives, remaining centered on Christ and his gospel, that somehow it would be wise to share with the congregation something like we did a year and a half ago. For the sake of the health of our congregation, we should limit our time together and only gather in one another's homes with great caution. That sentence is almost a completely opposite of what we believe about our life together, that we're supposed to be together, we're supposed to be in each other's homes, we're supposed to be in each other's backyards, we're supposed to be at our neighbors, we're supposed to be in parks, living the Christian life together, that it's by our love for one another that the world will know that we are his disciples, and how can we love one another if we're not together? And yet, that was wise. It was for the health of the body, in my church planting plan, I have a bunch of molluskinas, and they're all filled with thoughts about what, it would, what it's going to be like to, to, to plant the church and convictions and understandings of the Scripture, reading through, filled with all kinds of ideas. And not one of those molluskinas has a couple pages next to each other all about what to do in the event of a pandemic. I'm sorry, guys. I just failed. I wasn't ready, right? Were any of us ready for a pandemic? What I want us to do again this morning for the second week in a row is I want us to stop for a moment and notice that so many of the ways that we are today, even with many of the restrictions lifted and so many of the previous practices now available to us, that so many of our ways of being today are not the same as the ways that we were a year and a half ago. Now, I haven't said yet whether or not that's good or bad, 
some of the things that God has grown us in, we ought to thank God for, that we have come to a deeper understanding of what it means to be a people together, that it's more than simply being in one place. But some of the practices are not what we long for and not what we see according to the scriptures. I wonder, have there been accidental patterns of being that have crept in even into this new season that we are entering into, Lord willing? Last week I gave the illustration of bed rest. We Basically, for the last year and a half, we've put ourselves on bed rest for the health of the body. It's like a person who's broken a limb, and the doctor has said, for the health of your body, don't move an inch, don't exercise, and we'll bring you whatever food you need, okay? No doctor, if you walk into them on any normal day, says the best thing that you could do is stay in bed all day, all right? Don't get out of bed, whatever you do. That's, that's not normal. That's not a good prescription. It's not a good doctor, unless there's something disastrously wrong. Our limbs need to move. And here, after a long season of bed rest, there comes a point where the doctor needs to walk back into that room and says, it's been long enough. I think you're okay now. And, and you need to speak with those around you, perhaps get a second opinion, search for wisdom, but perhaps now is the time to get out of bed. Your bed sores need to heal and your limbs need to move. As much as what the doctor prescribed at the beginning for the health of the body was exactly what the body needed, now a season of physical therapy is needed. And we all know physical therapy Physical therapy is not like, oh yeah, I get to get out of bed. No, physical therapy is painful because it's teaching the body what it ought to have known naturally, but it's become unaccustomed to doing. I think that some of our practices as a church, as we relearn what it is to be faithful in Christ as a community together and as households living lives of gratitude, that some of what we're gonna learn is gonna feel painful it's gonna, because we just haven't exercised those muscles for a while. Because it's been so long, some of the new movements can hurt a great deal, and you can simply fail to remember what it is to do. And so you might even need help from those around you to begin to learn how to go about the faithful Christian life together. As we move forward into this season, it's essential that we understand and believe that the way we have been over the last year for our health is not the good way of the normal Christian life in Christ. And that there is a way that is laid out for us to live. We must look not to our own wisdom to discover how we are to be as a church. Right at the beginning of, of really a, a, a sense of call and some people speaking into my life, encouraging me to pursue church planting, really I was at a place where I could ask myself, well, what have I seen that's wrong in every church that I've ever been to, and how can we do what I want to do right? In other words, how can I invent the church and then persuade a bunch of people to do it my way? Okay, and I realized, thankfully, relatively quickly, this was a bad church planting plan. And that really the business of the church planter is to discover what is it that the Lord has done in planting the gospel and how would he grow up his church. The same is true for us today. It hasn't ever stopped. 
Our business as a church together is to ask the Lord, how, Lord, are we to be as your purchased people? What is it that you have purchased? What is it that you have made in making us a people in you? Let us look to the word, therefore, apply what the Spirit would teach us there with wisdom and faith in this shaken moment and ask, Lord, how have you caused us to live given who you have made us unshakenly in Christ, even in this shaken moment? I think that's what we find right here at the beginning of Hebrew, or in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. Please look at it with me. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these, this word recorded for us by your church inspired by your spirit, preserved for us today, by which you would speak to us with authority and power. We thank you for your word. And I pray that your word would accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it to us today as we reflect together as your church. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. An unshakable kingdom. There's a logic at the beginning of our passage that I want us to remember one more time. Look at the logic of verse 28. It says, therefore, be grateful. So that's the first thing, right? It's just a command. It's just a command passage. It's like the 11th commandment. Be grateful, all right? Well, no, that's actually not the first logical thing in the passage. It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. What's first? Gratitude or a kingdom? A kingdom. We're a people who have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is where we are. The logic of the passage begins with God's gift, God's grace, that we have received the grace of a kingdom being brought into none other than his own household, his own kingdom over which he is king. And then step two, I mean, step two, we could have written that ourselves if we were smart. Gratitude, gratitude, the most natural response to what the Lord has done. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
then and thus. So this is now the third thing. We have a kingdom that's given, that we have received. Then we have ourselves responding in gratitude. If we're responding in gratitude, what does that look like? Well, it turns out the thus tells us what it is, and the thus is worship. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship, which means we don't get to make it up. No church planter gets to say, what kind of worship service would I like to design? No, there's acceptable worship, and then there's not. And here's the shocking thing. When it says, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire, what he goes on to is not to describe a Sunday morning liturgy. See, I'm ready for it. I'm like, okay, we're going to offer acceptable worship. So what, what do we do for like the call to worship? No, he describes a life. And I think we discover one of the most precious things that this scripture can teach us as a church together. That worship is a life of reverence and awe lived before a holy God. Friends, that's why heaven is worship. Heaven is a life of reverence and awe lived before the God who has redeemed us and brought us into his unshakable kingdom. So if you want to know what worship looks like, it looks like letting brotherly love continue and continuing from there. It looks like gratitude. Gratitude is the great response to the grace of God that overflows into a life of worship. So a question for us this morning is in shaken times, and I feel like I don't really have to define that very much. Now, you name it. What's messed with you like this week? You know? Maybe we should all just like sort of send that in sometime this week. Tell us what's messed with you. You know what I'm talking about. In shaken times, is there any instruction that we have received from the Lord that are central to how we are to live in light of an unshakable kingdom? How are we to worship in light of an unshakable kingdom right here in shaken Times. How might we trust the Lord and his design for life, given the reality that he's rescued us out from the shakenness of the world and into his unshakable kingdom? Verses 1 through 3 speak of hospitality of a grateful community. A hospitality that informs a people who let brotherly love continue. We looked at it last Week. This morning, we begin in verse 4 by looking at the grateful life. What does it look like on the ground for the life that is lived in the unshakable kingdom? And it begins in verse 4 with these words. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Man, the Bible's good. So good. It, what, like, there are things that I would write there, that, that's like the perfect life, like let's just begin with obeying all of God's commandments, you know? But it's so practical. It's so real. What does it look like to live in, in shaken times? And friends, the Hebrews, they lived in shaken times who are receiving this sermon that is our text this morning. Shaken times. How are they to live? Well, such a practical instruction. Let marriage be held in honor among all. That's where I want to begin, among all. 
The business for the church for us to receive today is to recognize that we have been called together to hold marriage in honor. We honor God's design for society's flourishing. I think that's one of the reasons why he goes here just right away, is that marriage is so fundamental to the flourishing of human society, is the most basic cellular unit of of human interaction, human society. We honor husbands and wives, not a husband and a wife, but God's design for husbands and wives. This is his idea and the way that he has organized humanity to flourish. We honor his design of marriage for children. We say, this is good. God knows what he's doing. We'll honor it. We'll look for it. Next week is our roll-up Sunday. And we were asked the significant question for our Crosspoint Kids roll-up Sunday. Will there be fruit roll-ups at roll-up Sunday? Or do I have to bring them myself? And Tracy Hardy has answered the all-important question. Yes, there will be fruit roll-ups at roll-up Sunday. The question is, will you be at roll-up Sunday, the Sunday that we celebrate all that God has done and in the completion of another year in Crosspoint Kids and all those who have labored among the children to point them to Jesus Christ just as we do here in a life of worship. The among all in this verse asks the question, will all of the church hold marriage and subsequently, therefore, children in honor among all. Will we honor God's design and say, that's good. I have children. It seems obvious to me that I ought to say, yeah, yeah, that's good. Let's have everybody come and celebrate me and my kids, even though they're not in CP Kids anymore. But what if you don't have children? What if you're not married? The question is, in celebrating marriage, will you see that what you are doing is you are holding in honor God's design for the flourishing of society, even if you have the particular role in society of singleness? Can you still celebrate marriage and children? I know that one of the things that has struck me is that especially these days, there are a lot of jokes about not wanting to get married and perhaps even married people who, who play this joke too far about how children are just a pain. And I wonder that, I don't think at some point those jokes are, are funny because at some point they're not honest to the truth of scriptures. Friends, it is a practical consideration for every single one of you who are single here. And even those who are married and considering children, one of the things, to, a serious factor to discern your future for marriage and singleness is to consider children. But you can consider that and come to the conclusion that God has a particular call for your life and a way for you to be obedient and to be joyful and to participate in the society and still hold marriage in honor and not disparage God's design for society to flourish. Because let's all agree together 
According to God's design, if there's not marriage and children, there's going to be no society to flourish at all. And we can honor God and say, what an incredible design you have done, even as you have given me my particular role to play in the society. Praise the Lord. Can we do that among all? This is what I want all of us to see. Confess and honor given Scripture's instruction for us. Marriage is a part of God's design for human flourishing, the cultivation of society and the formation of culture. And we can all agree together, it's good. This is, those who are married among us can honor marriage with this confession this morning. And those who have our children or perhaps are single this morning can honor, honor the Lord with the confession, Lord, what you have designed is good. Whether marriage is the station in life into which God has called you or will place you in the future or not, doesn't change your ability to honor marriage as good and to live our lives in a manner that upholds the design of God both in marriage and sexuality. It's in the passage for us to honor this is so important before we, we step aside into the, uh, the next verses, that this is a positive statement. Look at it with me. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. It isn't first an instruction to denounce a surrounding culture. Do you see that? Now, note, the Roman culture was far degraded in, the area, in this area of morality. Far degraded. There were many things that the author to the Hebrews could have written, but instead he holds out this positive beauty. Let marriage be held in honor. The first and foremost important means by which we honor marriage is to practice a pure and undefiled life together. And friends, that's among all among all who are present in the church. You can see that this practice to which all of us are called is a practice for our eyes and our minds just as much as it is for our bodies, a positive practice to honor. Even in the prayer of confession, I hope, because I know what is true of the temptations that are in this world, that you would be bold enough to confess your sin in these areas, in our prayer of confession, to go before the Lord who has called us to be seen and known by him and to know his grace and transformation. But if your work there is, and God, I'm gonna try so hard not to do that next week. Friends, there is a better call. Can you hold marriage in honor? He said, man, my temptation practices are not as beautiful as God's design. Teach my heart to love that. That is a positive call. It's a practice of faith that tells our souls daily that the way of the Lord is good and that his design for marriage is good. It's as though we say when we sin, it's as though we say, I see God that you've designed and declared something about marriage but the fact is, I would be more happy, our society would flourish 
even more, if I lived morally unrestrained, if I broke out of your design for marriage and morality and on my own, apart from your design, I can live. Now that's a positive declaration as well. And we do that when we have much to confess. But our confession at its root has, God, I believe, I do believe that what you have said and what you have done in making us the way that you have made us and making us a society the way that you have made us in marriage and children and all the rest, God, is good. I believe you. Now, There is a place in our culture to speak with a prophetic voice into our culture and into godlessness. There is a place, but the best voice we will find is the life of worship that's lived by faith. It's the most compelling voice. How will they know that we are his disciples? By the way that we love one another. How might we love one another? by holding marriage in honor. And in light of the warning of judgment, we are called to live a life of repentance. The gospel of Jesus Christ has shown us that God's judgment upon sin is real. It's so real that we have seen Jesus, the perfect man, suffering the judgment of the Lord on a cross in our place. That's how real judgment is. Every time we see the word judgment as believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to see Jesus on the cross. For our God is a consuming fire. But it's in our place. And we have so often failed to honor marriage with our lives. And so Jesus has suffered the justice of God in our place. And so we're free to confess our sin. Free. Our confession itself is a confession of faith, that it's bold that we approach the throne because we approach as a people, as Mark reminded us, who are covered by the righteousness of Christ. You see, by honoring marriage with our lives, we're not telling the world that we're better, that we occupy a moral high ground. We tell the world that the Lord has rescued us from our moral depravity, by grace. And he's given us a new vision that we simply want to honor because it's good. It's good. And we do so in repentance of our sin and in faith-filled honoring of his design for marriage. May we, maybe one of the loudest voices that our culture ought to hear from the church is repentance that we have so often failed to believe that his way is good. What if that was a loud voice? For the church. Friends, it's why we won't be canceling the prayer of confession just because Jeremiah preached too long or something. That's going to be the last thing to go because it's one of the loudest voices that we need to hear. It's a confession of faith. May we not construe ourselves in our culture as a people who yell at the society just how immoral they are, but in humility and gratitude honor how beautiful the way of the Lord is. Kent Hughes suggests that you can dishonor marriage through asceticism or libertinism. So live simply freely. We can treat marriage and sexuality as something that is not important, not beautiful, and so not honor God's design. We shouldn't talk about that much. 
We should just let that happen because you got to have kids, you know. Or we can defile marriage and sexuality through immorality and adultery. And these are the two ways that we depart from God's design for marriage in our midst. This morning, we who have trusted in the Lord for forgiveness of sin and life and righteousness, we have been brought into an unshakable kingdom. We are free every one of us to repent before the Lord. And if this passage is a call of repentance to you, thank God, this isn't a bummer Sunday. This is beautiful. What a, what a grace that the Lord has held up judgment, that we see the Christ being judged in our place and we are free to confess with gratitude that this kingdom has been purchased for you. And so for all of us, let us live in these shaken times as a people who hold marriage in honor. All of us. And then the passage continues. Verse four goes on to verse five. Keep your life free from the love of money. Now there's an easy one, right? Now that we dealt with marriage and we've got all that together, let's just keep our lives free of greed It'll be super easy. As Pastor Chan Kilgore, a pastor who has mentored me into church planting, would so often say that the culture around us could easily say to the church, why would I convert to the God that you pretend to worship on Sunday morning when I already worship the same God that you worship all the rest of the week? Every time he said that, I don't I don't like that because if I, if I look at who I am, what I trust in, what so much of my mind and life is occupied with, it's not an sh- unshakable kingdom. It's a kingdom that I perceive as shaken that I have to shore up with my labors and particularly with money. And he's right. Why would the world convert to our God when they already believe in him? the God of money. This year has presented us with the most isolation I think you've probably ever experienced in your life. I know it is for me. So much isolation, so much time alone, so much time, listen, to think about myself, right? This year has presented us with all of this isolation. You've probably focused a great great deal perhaps on your vocation, perhaps on your family, perhaps on your literal house, so many house projects going on right now, so many of your hobbies taking place, so much effort in our individual lives, and in our households. It would be easy, wouldn't it, to accidentally have developed habits that are identical to all the other efforts of the households on your street. What have they been focusing on? Turns out, all the same things. You're all busy worshiping the same God together. How easy would that be? Perhaps, perhaps, you have begun to place your hope for happiness in the things that are challenged in this scripture this morning. Keep your life free from the love of money. This isn't a unique call to Hebrews in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Some of you are familiar with this passage. Great verse to write in the margin of your Bible here in Hebrews. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Man, that's good. Not only is the love of money or the trust of money for the things that only the Lord can provide, a wandering away from the Lord in faith, it is a sure way to wander off into all kinds of unanticipated suffering. When we trust in money, money had better provide what we have trusted in it for. Do you hear that? If you're going to trust in money, if you're going to trust in your vocation, if you're going to trust in your household, if you're going to trust in your career and hobbies, whatever it is that you're trusting in it for, it better nail it for you. Because it's all you got. Because with money, there is no grace. You either have it or you don't. With money, there is no promise. With money, it is your responsibility to maintain the integrity of the kingdom that you build with it. So build well. Do it right the first time. And that's terrifying to a guy who gets so many things wrong in life. What am I thinking? With the pursuit of money... There is literally and actually no such thing as an unshakable kingdom. It just, it isn't just that money runs out that you have pierced yourself with many pangs. It's that it's by your own ability and your own power that has become the foundation of your life. You love money, but you got to work for it. You see, money doesn't work for you. That would be grace. You work for money, and it is your master, your own effort, your own striving, your own suffering to endure. Now get busy. There's no grace in that. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's why he says, love the Lord your God, or love money, your God, right? That's what Jesus is telling us in this passage, which will provide for you. Will money or God provide for you? I think that one of the most clear ways that I can put it is this. Money is a wage. It is earned, and it is just as easily lost. But salvation is a gift, It is grace, and it's kept in heaven for you by the power and promise of God. Whom do you love? Do you love wage, or do you love grace? Again, money is a shakeable, nah, it's a shaking kingdom. But we've entered into a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and it's a kingdom that we have entered because it is a kingdom that we have received, not built, Received, And so the command to us in this passage, the instruction for us, is be content with what you have. How can we be content when what we have received is a kingdom that cannot be shaken? It's, it's permanent. You can't take much from a believer. Try it. You can't even take his life. Because in his life he loses nothing. For God has said, 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can take everything away from a believer. And what does the believer have? God who made everything. Unshakable kingdom. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What is your hope? That if all else would fail, the Lord is with us? Yes. And it is he whom we love, and it's he whom we trust. Which is why the last thing that this passage tells us is so precious and important for us. I will not fear. We can confidently say this. The Lord is my helper. He saved me from my sin, which is my greatest enemy. He has removed me from the judgment of the righteous God that ought to be upon me, taken in himself and given me his kingdom. He's brought me into a kingdom and he's given me a new way to live. It's not a new way that feels like a weight. It's a new way to live that feels like grace. It's a gift to honor marriage. It's a gift to be content and provided for. Do we believe it? Do we walk as a people of worship, gratitude, and awe? I will not fear. When the world around me begins to shake, I look to the Lord. Look to him. What command do to me? We ought to expect nothing but sin and folly from the world around us. We ought to expect it. And yet, when we look around the world around us, we also find common grace that the Lord is at work to preserve even the societies that do not live to worship him. So even where we see a rejection of the way of the Lord, what command do to me? Man, grace. God is at work in grace, in grace, even in the culture that seems so threatening. Do we believe it? Do we believe that God is at work right here in these shaken times? That's messed with me. I tend to be a realist, right? I tend to look at things and try and see what they look like right now. And what this realist is looking at things right now and they look really bad. They look not just shakable, they look straight up shaken. Do I believe in the common grace of our God that he's still present? That he has not yet returned to execute full judgment on the earth. But we still live in an age of grace. I will not fear. What command do to me? In fact, we ought to expect nothing but sin and folly from the world. But we, what we see is God still preserving. The mercy and grace of God has caused us to be born again to today, friends, a living hope. If you're alive, there's hope for the place that we live. And there's hope for the place to which we will go. And this is a confidence of a people who live in an unshakable kingdoms, in sh- an unshakable kingdom in shaken times. Now, what would it look like to have a people who've received grace, 
who see it as good, who walk together in the sweetness of repentance and joy, and who expect God to work in the most ugly of places. Probably the greatest example of this that I can think of are the numerous times the Apostle Paul found himself in front of wicked leaders in a wicked culture. Do you know what Paul expected in those places? He expected a few things. One is he expected to die. Yeah. No, it didn't bother him much just to live as Christ, but to die as gain, so go for it. He expected to die. He was a realist. But he also expected God to work. One of the leaders even, even said, what, are you trying to convert me? Paul's like, yeah. Yeah, I'm still alive, so we must be in the age of grace. So, uh, yeah, do you believe in Jesus the Christ? What if that was our disposition? And well, we're realists. We expect to die. We don't think it's going to go particularly well for us these days. But I also think the Lord's going to save. And there will be more people right here in this shaken place who will receive an unshakable kingdom into which I myself have been brought. Friends, that is an encouragement to me. It's an encouragement to me as a people who are gonna turn to Mark next week and continue to look at Christ. But friends, we don't just find Jesus in the gospel of Mark. We find him at work in our midst today. By his word and spirit, we expect to see the Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We have much to repent of, but we thank you that we can do so without fear. We can even approach your table of grace as such, not a table of wage. We do not receive your broken body and shed blood as a wage by which that we have earned, but grace that we receive by faith. Thank you, Lord, that we have much to repent and we can. Thank you, Lord, that you have much mercy new again this morning that we live in an age of grace. Show us how to live and how not to be afraid. That we would be real, that we'd see things as they are, but not be afraid. That it would become true of us to live as Christ. That's good news. And to die as gain. That's good news. Because there's a kingdom that is unshakable into which you have brought us. Teach us how to live. Teach us together. Lord, by your word and spirit, bring us to a faith-filled life together as your church. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.